Hey everybody, welcome back to Archer World Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Henry. And today we're going to follow up or finish up with, uh, we're talking about outdoor setups last week. We went over a lot of details of the rest and, and how the placement of the rest can affect horizontal knock travel and vertical knock travel. Uh, we went over the blade angles, the different styles of uh, blades that you may be able to use, uh, some fall away options as well. And um, we want to go in today talk and talk about sights and how sights can affect how you tune the bow and a lot of the options for sights. So Henry uh, Bass is with me. Uh, he uses an XL uh, Achieve XP sight. Is that right? Yes. Um, now... That is a really awesome sight. To me, it's one of my favorite on the market. There's a lot of other good sights out there. Spot Hog makes some. Shibuya makes some. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, CBE makes a lot of good ones. There's a lot of good sight companies. Um, the thing is, is choosing a sight isn't choosing the scope. So we're kind of going to focus on the scope. So there's so many good sights out there. You choose what you like, but when it comes down to the scope, that's what you're staring at every single time that you're at full draw. So what scope do you use in um, the scope housing and the lens and the optic or dot or, and what do you use for outdoor specifically? So for outdoor specifically, I run the, well, for both indoors and outdoors, I run the AV31 housing. For outdoor specifically, I'm running a four power feather vision lens with a 10,000 fiber green up pin. So I run a AV25 and the AV25 and AV31, we, that's a, you know, just a few millimeters larger uh, for the 31 than it is the 25, uh, obviously by six millimeters. Uh, so it makes the scope housing larger. So the Excel makes a 41 as well. So, and a lot of 3D shooters like that because it allows more lens, more views of contours of the backs of animals and so on. And you're typically not shooting out to hundred yards of animals. So the 31 and the 25 are very popular for like your, your dot style shooting, like your outdoor field rounds and your safari rounds, specifically your safari rounds. Those are really popular because you are seeing the whole animal at distance and you may be shooting out to a hundred yards. So if you go too large, sometimes you can't get the distance you need out of your sight and you have no problem doing it with the AV 31. No, I, I can hit about 110 to 115 yards with the AV 31 housing. And I need to, because I run my peep a little bit lower than you, that affects the max distance I can get and I have a little shorter draw length than you by about one inch that affects how far I can shoot my arrow without making my anchor point so low that I struggle with that so I need an AV25 and this comes into play for sight radius so you run your sight let's talk about where you run your sight as far as the bar is it close is the scope closer to the bow or further away I know we've talked about this before let's hit it again so I run a six inch bar and I would say I'm mid to in closer towards the bow um, again that just kind of gets me a little extra yardage that I need and stuff like that right and when you run a scope closer to the bow you see less movement and the power is has changed us slightly and the torque 
in relationship to how far out the site radius is is affected as well. So let's go over that and talk about that because sometimes people think, oh, more site radius is going to be all better. That means I can get the site out there further. I've got three points of alignment, the, my eye, the peep, the scope. And so that makes a perfect, a better straight line. And it's easier to tell where that line is when you're at full draw. In most people's minds, that's what they envision when they're thinking about their scope. So if you ran your scope out further, what is the negatives for you that you've experienced? So for one, I don't get the yardage that I need. For two, I see a lot more movement like we've talked about before. And three, it just makes it so much smaller that I feel like I'm fighting to see it versus the farther in you bring it, it just seems like it's got a little bit more clarity to it. Um, like you said, there's kind of a lot of misconceptions as far as where to have your scope set up exactly. Um, you know, some of the these professional hunters don't help our case at all when explaining that because they think that you need a 10-inch sight extension out there and have it out as far as you can, but they don't know why they're doing it. They're just doing it because they want to set themselves apart and be able to see when they see people doing it that they know that they did it for them right well and sometimes the manufacturers um not on on purpose or intentionally that they're advertising a long bar uh you think well they must have done it for a reason so if it's there i need to be able to use it because that's going to make it better right and so that's what happens sometimes is uh, it doesn't fit the need of everyone they make those bars so it fits the meet need of everyone they hope buys their product but it doesn't fit the majority most of the time so i'm like you i run the scope a little closer to the bow uh, which in turn makes me need a slightly larger peep size to keep that scope circled in my peep because you typically want to check for misaligning uh, when you're at full draw so when you run your av31 at full draw what peep do you use and what size aperture do you use because of that? I know we've talked about that too. Let's go over that. I don't know the exact size because I've drilled them all out. So I've started out with the teeniest one, which I think is the... It's like a 50 thou. Yeah, I started out with the 50 thou and then I just start working up from there with drill bits until I get the size that I need. Um, outdoors, sometimes I will run the 50 thou just because you're bringing in a lot more light, especially like FIDA. Uh, when I was shooting a lot of FIDA, I, I tried a couple different methods over the years. One year I tried just centering my pin in the housing instead, so I never saw the actual scope housing. That worked okay um, for a little bit until you start shooting in the wind and, and certain things like that. Then you can't really see your bubble as clear because you're using you know when you shoot with both eyes open you're kind of peripherally seeing it versus clearly seeing it um so now i typically run a little bit larger peep but i wouldn't say it's an actual size i just run it up with drill bits until i find the size that that works perfect for me right and before a lot of the interchangeable apertures came on the market that uh specialty archery products makes or uh, Hamski makes uh, those are two of the more dominant peeps out there you know for target shooting and hunting that you can adjust the size of the aperture just by unscrewing an aperture and putting it back in we all did what you're talking about so um, we started out with a small one and you don't even have to take it out of the string and you don't 
chuck it up into a drill and then try to drill it out that way. You typically go, if you happen to start with a, a 50 thousandths peep, because that's the smallest that the company that you use allowed, then you would typically go with a 65 thousandths bit or something like that, slightly larger. And you can just turn a, a new bit in there with your hand and it'll just pull the little bit of material it needs to out. And then you drop back and check it again. And that's kind of what you do to set yours up, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I just have, I, I'm old school and I haven't swapped any of my stuff over to any of these fancy new adjustable peeps. <laughs> fancy. I think, I think out of, I counted how many bows I've got the other day, and I've got 20 sitting at the house. And out of all those 20, I've got one bow with an adjustable peep. And I think it's because I was getting ready to go somewhere, and it was the only peep that we had in the store. Hmm. And I was literally setting up my bow that day to go to a shoot probably the next day, would be my guess. And it was just available. So the thing is, is, you know, you wouldn't recommend for anyone that you're trying to help to do it the way that you're doing it it just happens to work for you most people right. you're going to recommend to get something with an adjustable peep because it's going to take them a lot less trial and error to to figure out what they need and if they go like if you've and i'm sure you've done it if you go too big in the size hole you've got to press at home and then of course you work at the shop you can just press it put a new one in and start again and you have 40 in a box right. um, most customers aren't going to have that option they're going to if they take that size out too large, they're going to have to get another peep. They're going to have to go to find some uh, shop with a the press. They're going to have to change it all out. So it's a lot less convenient oh, yeah. they, for They got to start someone. the whole process over again where I can just start the process pretty much in my archery room that's a, a little bow shop at the house, right? So out of like all the adjustable peeps, I really like the specialty one. That's the one that I do have in, in one of my bows. Um, is it the classic or is it the new podium? It's just the classic the, one. That, that's it, what I'm running school, in mine. Old school classic one. Um, I like it. I just have so many of those other peeps and I'm cheap. I don't like spending 25 bucks a, a peep when I know I'm just at full draw long enough to peep through it, right? Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I, I've got so many of those other peeps that I just run them until they, I lose them pretty much. Because a peep never really goes bad. Um, but I do recommend for somebody that's not setting up a million bows a year like I am to just go on ahead and get one of those specialty peeps and get the whole aperture kit because you never know which one you're going to need. And once you get your scope in a certain spot, you don't want to have to adjust your scope in and out after you've already spent time getting it adjusted, doing this, doing that, when you can just change an aperture out. And those apertures aren't expensive. And, you know, because it's going to change from scenario to scenario, more so indoors than outdoors. Indoors, I see more people swap into a little bit bigger peep housing just because you're shooting a little less light than you were at home or a little bit more. So they go down in size and same thing can happen outdoors, right? One field course, like we go shoot Eugene. I guarantee you probably have to open up your peep a little bit for Eugene because 99% of those shots are in a heavily wooded area mm -hmm. right yep and so it's exactly what i did so i found that as i opened it up um you have there's two things that happen as you go to a larger peep you you allow more light through the peep to your iris but uh what happens is as far as looking through the powered lens that you happen to be running if you run a four powered lens and you go to like an eighth inch peep um 
on a four powered lens, that's going to make so much light come through. It's ridiculous, but it's going to blur out the target that you were trying to use a scope for to begin with to get clarity on. So there's this happy spot where you need to kind of experiment with what sight radius you're going to need, what size aperture that you're going to need and the clarity that you need for the target to allow the most light in that you can see clearly and still execute a clean shot. So, um, that being said, the, the SAP makes a really good one. They make their classic peep that has adjustable um, apertures. They make a new uh, podium peep, which is nice because it allows you to change the apertures out without a tool. You don't need an Allen wrench or one of their little plastic tools to change it out. You can just unscrew it from the back and then put a new aperture in and add a clarifier if you need to. Uh, Hamsky does the same thing. You need a, a plastic Allen wrench tool that comes in their, their peep kit, or you can use an Allen wrench. Uh, either way, all those are really good options. Those peeps typically run, um, the new styles typically look like a section of straw cut out. They're a little bit longer than normal, and that is supposed to filter the light a little better so it doesn't get too much into your eye, but still allows you to see real clear around it. So my favorite is the Hamsky. Um, I happen to be shooting the eight the SAP right now, because like you, when I change a bow, sometimes I misplace where I put the peep and I can't find my Hamsky right now, but I found my SAP. So I'll put it in and I'll tell you what, at Reading, my score was the same average. It always is no matter which one I'm using. Um, sometimes you feel better with one or the other, but you're still looking through a hole to line up the scope. Sorry, we got cut off real uh, quick. So um, picking back up where we were, we were talking about the size of the aperture in relationship to the scope, in relationship to the target. Finding what you need as an individual is going to be different for every single person. I would never do what you do for yours, Henry, because it would just take me more time. And that's the, that's my biggest enemy right now is, is my lack of time. Right. So every time that you try something like that, it is exactly what we said. It's a try, and that doesn't mean it won't work. But what it could mean is, is that you're back to the drawing board again. Right. And we were kind of talking about, like, a little bit of the differences between the Hamsky and the specialty archery peep. I, I like the specialty archery just as the ease of adjustment. And the the peep's not as big and bulky as the Hamsky. The Hamsky's nice clearly off the fact that I think the clarifier system's a lot better because they're actually using a lens system. And if you've looked through a lot of those lenses... Uh, you know, you can get oblonged ones out of the specialty archery ones when you're running a clarifier. And so it kind of acts like those kids' kaleidoscopes. When you rotate them over your finger, then the image starts shifting around, where I've never seen that with any of the Hamsky lenses. So I think the lens system, if you're going to run a clarifier, is going to be better on the Hamsky. But if you're not going to run a, a clarifier, then I think you're okay with the with the specialty archery system. Yeah, I could see why you're talking about that because the Hamskis are more cut um, symmetrical instead of having any taper to them at all. Uh, and the way that the the SAPs are crimped into um, the style that you're using, at least they're crimped into the, the housing that goes in there, the aperture that goes in there, it's crimped in place. So 
Um, I think that we've covered that enough. Let's talk about lenses and different types of lenses that are out there, plastic versus glass. And uh, I'll start off by talking about uh, Feather Vision. They're my personal favorite lens company out there because they make uh, probably some, in my opinion, some of the best glass out there. That doesn't mean there's not other companies that make it. There's a lot of companies that make Zeiss lenses. Feather Vision has Zeiss lenses as well when everyone's familiar with the quality of Zeiss. Um, but my classic favorite for my ability that I would never see past is the Verde Plus lens. It's about a $150 lens and it's been made for the past decade, but it's a really clean glass with a lot of uh, good coatings on there that stops, the, it's scratch resistant, it's uh, really strong, it's, I've not seen very many of them crack or break uh, or get beat up too much. Um, and now they make one um, that they've done for about a year and a half or two years now. It's called that I'm going to try. I've classically put a flat lens in my scope and I used an up pin with a 19 thousandths, the uh, green dot. The one I'm going to try now is their new one. I just talked to Feather Vision a couple of days ago and they kind of walked me through some of the options that there are. And I asked them what they would recommend for like outdoor safaris and outdoor field shoots. And a lot of their customers use like a 19 thousandths drilled center lens where you put a small half inch piece of optic in through the lens. And then they, it's called a DSA. And the DSA means the dual spectral aiming system. So that allows it to frost out around the where the hole is and where the aiming dot is and it kind of acts like a dot on top of it so it's almost like a sticker dot but it's etched into the glass and you can choose what size you want you can choose what color you want and then of course it's got the option of the optic color in the middle too so i'm gonna for outdoors i'm gonna try a 19 thousandths dsa lens from them in a verde plus with a green fiber optic through that, and then I'm gonna try a 30 thousandths etched frosted white circle around that. Um, and if I can't see through that well, they make some other sizes and options too that I might try, but it, again, it's a try. If I can't figure any of it out this year, I will go ahead and go back to the classic flat lens I've got with the up pin. Um, but one advantage of a dot in the middle of it is I don't sag in the dot as much with an optic through a drilled center lens as I do when it's an up pin because an up pin has a post coming up from the bottom of the scope right above the bubble and it on the transition targets I have to to see what I'm doing I have I favor low on accident and it makes me shoot low at those harder shots you know when the dot appears smaller like an 88 yard safari dot or a 50 yard uh, safari dot where those are about the smallest they get before they go to the next size up um, so you're using your you said you use a 19 thousandths no uh, 10, or, or, 10 thousandths green fiber a 10 thousandths green fiber okay and so that sounds great to hear like a pro like henry bass say i shoot a 10 thousandths green optic well henry's a little younger than me so uh he'll probably change that in about three or four more years as he gets to be the age where that he's like where'd my op where'd my optic go i can't see it did did it fall out and then you you let down and you realize it's still there you just see it wash out because your eyes start to change so not many people over uh 40 to 45 use a ten thousandths anymore because their eyes just won't allow them to see it without it washing out um you're still able to see that and that helps you for 
your longer shots because that transition dot isn't an issue for you. Right. So I've always liked as small of an aiming point as I can find or like see just because I feel like it takes up kind of like the capacity of the arrow. And so it allows me to call my shot a little bit better because now I know where it's breaking. And if, if I run a bigger dot, typically I will run just outside of the dot that I'm trying to hit or just outside of this or outside of that. And so the smaller the aiming point for me typically has been better just because then it it's like, you know, when you're shooting a, a gun, you don't want to have a huge reticle covering up your entire target. You want to basically have one that covers up the basic impact of where the where the bullet's going to hit, right? And so I've kind of taken that same approach to my bow. And so, like, even when I run a dot, like, I'll run the Gunstar kits. And when I run the Gunstar dot, I run literally the smallest one. And it's not on the actual dot sizes. It's the ones that's inside the circle that they have. So mm-hmm. they have the circles with the dot in the center of it, and that dot's smaller than anything that they have on the actual dot kit. Right. So, so I cut those out, and the, that's my dot for outside if I, if I run one. Indoors, because I'm running such a lower power, I do get away with a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger dot. The other thing is, is for indoors, I, I do like a little bit bigger dot that just hovers... So when I when I hold it perfectly, I can see the ten ring around my dot, and so then it still gives me that same basic principle that I'm looking for. It's just indoors I aim a little differently than I do outdoors. Gotcha. So, and then staying on track with what we're talking about on sites and the relationship to it. In a previous podcast, you had mentioned something that we don't talk about very often, but it is affected by it, is the torque of the bow. And you use the, the sight can help you tune the bow. Um, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, so having that sight position for torque is actually probably more critical than any of the rest movements or anything like that that you can do. So typically what you're going to want to do when you get into that kind of tuning aspect is twisting the riser so you it's the one time that it's okay to grip the bow you got to shoot one relaxed hand you know and so typically when i torque tune i'll do it on a three spot shoot your ver- your first target relaxed hand shoot your second one where you're grabbing it and twisting the riser to the right and then take the next one and gr- twist the riser to the left most of the time you're probably not going to hit in the same ballpark as what you did before so if you're hitting red to red on either side there's no math to it you just need to try pulling your side in and see if that corrects it if that doesn't then you start sliding your side out and everybody's different because every setup's different arrow lengths arrow widths you know all that stuff all plays a factor into the actual torque tuning of the bow plus all the bows are not designed equally and so one bow might torque tune in one spot, another bow might torque tune in another spot. So it's just kind of for you to decide where your bow wants to torque tune. But uh, basically you're just kind of going in and doing that. You're, you gotta physically shoot it. It's not something that the pro shop can do for you. Um, and you just figure out what, what your bow's actually doing. So 
in relationship to torque tuning for your site, um, I know the stabilization bars affect that to some degree too. Now there's mechanical torque that's built into the bow and that's because the cables are pulled off to the side, either on a cable slide um, and the cable guard or a roller guard or whatever the company happens to call it at the time, a flex guard, roller guard, uh, some way that they get the cables out of the way. Uh, that creates mechanical torque before you even draw the bow and when you draw the bow that load that loads up that kit torque even more so your hand grip like you're describing affects that some so some people are more prone to torque a certain way than others and when you move that side in or out it can affect how that um, acts more forgiving to their particular grip and their particular torque that that bow generates Correct. so stabilization can offset that some uh, so Next week, we'll talk about how that works in relationship to stabilization. And to give you an example of that is I have to run. I broke my hand um, in Iraq a, um, a, about a decade ago. And as the nerves grew back in my hand, it really hurt to hold the bow the way I used to. So I started holding my bow a different way. Not a terrible grip, just not the same grip I had. And because of that, it caused me to run my sidebar in closer to the bow. And each year that went by, the bar, I noticed the bar was getting closer and closer and closer to the bow to make the bow feel stable. Now, that caused a, a negative result too, which is the closer the bar gets to the bow, the back bar, the more I wanted to torque the bow to the left on accident. So there's a certain amount of load the bow has. And when, that, when I'm barely moving to the left and that bar's really close, there's a lot of weight behind almost the axle of the bow. It was so close and it caused the bow to twist to the left more, um, which is a natural reaction that the bow had picked up. So now I'm trying V bars, one bar on either side, which I don't care for at all, but it has really corrected that. And it's changed the torque that my sight seems to have too. So my pushes to the left or the movement to the left is not as exaggerated as it was before. So we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about how you do yours. And I know classically you start out with the same setup, but then I know you're, uh, you play with different ideas and, and, things as as time goes for the bow that you're shooting and we'll talk about um that as and move that into the aspect of how do you finalize where it needs to be set up so that you can actually start shooting and practicing instead of just tinkering all the time right so well thanks for joining us guys we really appreciate it you can find us at archeryworld.net that's our uh website or on instagram it's the archery world pro shop uh, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.